Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. If you haven't been here, here's the quick recap. There was a guy in the first century by the name of Paul. He was a church leader. In fact, he was a church planner. He wanted everybody to know about Jesus. And so he had visited Ephesus and then went back home and he was like, you know what? I want to move there. So he got some buddies to go with him. They went and moved there and they began to have a new church. And the new church began to talk about Jesus. And so every day he would show up at the synagogue, which is where the Jewish people, the people who would honor Jehovah, they would arrive and he would tell them all about Jesus and how Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that Moses had written about on all the Old Testament scriptures, which was just the Jewish scriptures. Jesus was the guy. And so every day he was there for three months. Think about that. That's like 90 days. That's like the equivalent of you going to church every Sunday for two years. They got consolidated down into 90 days. And then some people didn't like it. And they're like, Paul, you're no longer welcome here. And they kicked him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. And so I don't know about you, but if I got kicked out of the synagogue, I might be like, you know what? Maybe this is God's sign for me to move on. Maybe it's time to go plant a church somewhere else. But not Paul. Paul was like, all right. Challenge accepted. And so he began to find somewhere else to meet. And so we find that he ends up in this place that's called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. And he would meet here in this lecture hall when no one else wanted to meet there, right in the heat of the day. Remember, this is modern day Turkey. It's warm. Nobody wants to be here. And so he's like, no, we've got to continue to tell people about Jesus. And it wasn't like he was showing up by himself talking to nobody. People wanted to hear this message. And so for the next two years, people arrived every day to hear Paul talk in the heat of the day about the radical life that God was calling them to. And so these people began to embrace this. They began to change their life. They began to live a new way. They had the way that they used to live, their old life, but now they were embracing this new life. And it wasn't just impacting them privately. It wasn't just impacting them when no one else saw it. No, it began to have ripple effects to the entire community. And so crazy things were happening. There were so many people who were coming to Jesus that in Ephesus, one of the great tourist attractions was this architectural feat. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world called the Temple of Artemis and the Temple of Diana. And they would have these craftsmen and workers that would make shrines and, and little gods and, and memorials for those who were coming there to worship. Well, all of a sudden business started to dry up because people were embracing Jesus and they said, we can't be involved with the Temple of Artemis. We can't be involved in the things that everybody else is. We're not going to do that. And so all of the people were like, hey, you're affecting our economic status here. We ain't got no money because of Jesus. And so they actually had an entire riot that broke out against the Christians. I mean, it was crazy. And at the same time, like all of this is happening, there are people who are getting miraculously healed by like handkerchiefs and things that Paul, this church leader, had touched. All of a sudden, people were like touching it in faith and like they were being healed. It didn't make any sense. It was wild. People were casting out demons in Jesus' name because everybody was starting to hear about Jesus. And it was after about two years that Paul then was like, it's time to move on. And he just packed his bags and was out. And I love that aspect that he didn't feel the church was dependent upon him. 
He didn't build the church around his personality, over his ability to teach, over who he is. He built a church that was centered on the person of Jesus Christ and was able to leave it and go somewhere else and start another church. That's awesome. So cool. But then now here's this church. Did they die? Did they function? They continued to meet together. They continued to make an impact. And what they began to do actually began to spread to all the area around Ephesus. And all of this happened without Paul there. Paul was gone. And if we fast forward the story, Paul ends up going and planting other churches. He ends up getting arrested years later. And when he's in Rome, under house arrest, he thinks about those people that he spent two years of his life with. He thinks about those Christians that are back in Ephesus and that whole area, and he decides to write them a letter. And that letter, we believe, was inspired by God, that what was in it was truth, and we actually have a copy of that letter that Paul sent back to the church at Ephesus. And in your Bibles, it's called the book of Ephesians. And so we've been looking at this story for the last several weeks and, and it's such a cool message that Paul is sending back to the church at Ephesus because he wants to encourage them to continue to hang on to the faith. And he doesn't want them just to hang on to the faith in some general sense, but he wants them to know, number one, who they are in Christ, and number two, what Christ expects of them. But the only way for them to understand that is for them to first realize you are not the same person. The person you were before you met Christ and the person you are after Christ, they are two different people. And if there hasn't been a life change, if your life hasn't changed in any way, you might not have accepted Jesus Christ. And so in the first few chapters, there's this table, and I've shown this to you guys previously, but we talk about the old life versus the new life. And so we see this in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it talks about the old life. It says that we were dead before we met Christ, we were dead. But then we met Jesus and now we're alive. Like we've had radical life change. Jesus is all about bringing people from death to life. Once we were enslaved, what's that mental image? Can you picture a slave? Can you picture somebody in chains? Can you picture somebody bound? Okay, no longer are we enslaved. We were, but now we're enthroned. Can you picture the difference between slavery and being enthroned and being in a place of honor and prestige? Man, God has changed who we are. We were once objects of wrath, but now we are objects of grace. We used to walk among the disobedient, and that wasn't so good, but now somehow or another we have fellowship with Christ who never has disobeyed once in his whole life. What? We were under Satan's domain, but now we are not just under a new domain, but we're in union with Christ. See, the change that happens when we meet Jesus is radical, and it's supposed to still be radical today, but somehow or another, being a Christian in our culture today has just been a label that I wear. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but you look just like everybody else. You're still doing the same thing everybody else is doing. You talk the same way, you drink the same things, you stay out Friday night, you still, like, what's the difference? Well, listen, if you haven't met Jesus, really, your life's not changed, but if you encountered the love of Jesus and he's changed you, you will be forever changed. And we need to see the world changed by the love of Jesus. See, God's plan of salvation is for you and I to move from death to life. In case you didn't know it, you were once dead. And if you haven't met Christ, you are still dead. But there's good news. Amen. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. 
perhaps the greatest challenge is for you to recognize that you don't have life, that in fact you are living in death. But Jesus' plan is for us individually to come to know him, but it's not just God save me, and it's not just God save you. God's actually, the people that he's saving, he is forming together into a new society. And this is so cool. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that this new society that God's forming. See, there were these Jews that believed in Jehovah, and he was calling them to be in a relationship with Jesus. And then there was the non-Jews, which were called the Gentiles. He was calling them to be in relationship with Jesus. And he wasn't calling the Jews to be like the non-Jews. He wasn't calling the non-Jews to be like Jews. He said, don't even look at one another. I have a third party, a third entity that you need to be like. It's my son, Jesus Christ. And as you are like him, there is a great diversity in the society that God's creating. Is it made up of just old people? No. Is it made up of just young people? No. Is it made up of rich people? Not just rich people. Is it made up of just poor people? No. Is it made up of just Jews or just these people? No. It's a diverse culture, a new society that God is forming. And what's crazy when you read the Bible and you really study it is that when God is saving someone, he is never saving someone without adding them to the church. It is both. He saves them and he adds them to the church. The church is the new society. Now, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus in our Bibles uh, has six chapters, right? So when Paul was writing it, he didn't put chapters in it, but afterwards we went back and said, we got to be able to navigate this a little bit. So the first half of his letter to the church of Ephesus is all about what God has done for you. It's about the grace that's available to you. It's about the salvation that can come by grace as an act of faith that you receive. Like we hear all of the things that God has for us, that we can be enthroned, that we can be one with Christ, that we can have union with him. It's things that God has done for us. But the second half of the book changes gears. And instead of talking about what God's done for you, it begins to talk about what you can do for God. The first half of the letter is designed for us to root ourselves in who Christ has called us to be, my identity first. And then secondly is going to come my to-do list. But I think so often, if you guys are anything like me, is I want to jump past the identity thing and just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, let's get to the to-do list, right? Like, I understand, all right, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, yeah, yeah. What, are you, what am I supposed to do? But I think we misorder and misprioritize God's way of transforming us when we bypass what he's spending his time first on. He is changing your identity first before he's trying to change your behavior. And so often I want to skip the identity in Christ and just try to change. And when I do that, I believe that the transformation in my life is a result of my own efforts. Because I forgot that I'm identifying him. I'm trying to prove that I'm good. I'm trying to be righteous in my own strength and power. But it's impossible until I'm rooted in Christ. I have to find myself in Christ, then do the to-do list. But so often, if you're like me, you just want to jump past it, but that's when we get things messed up. So number one, we have to know who we are in Christ before, number two, learning the standard of conduct for those who are part of God's new society. And that's what the next part of our series is going to be about, is how are we supposed to conduct ourselves as a part of God's new society? In the world today, nearly every institution creates its own standard of conduct. In the NFL, it's called the personal conduct policy. For the federal government, it's an entrance exam known as the civil service test. 
For the church, God's new society, the standards are laid out in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and to their future pastor, Timothy, on how they are supposed to function as this new society. And so Paul sets out to answer these questions, and we'll put them up here. How are we to function in this new society? What are our responsibilities? If you've stepped over the line of faith, you've gone from death to life, now what? Well, that's what Paul's going to answer is, how are we to function now together in this new society? What is he going to hold me responsible for? What am I supposed to do? And so if I can remember my identity first, now my behavior is my second part. We're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 4. So putting the verse on the screen, you can follow along. This is New Living Translation today. Therefore, I, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Remember, he's in prison in Rome. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Do you know you've been called by God? Live in such a way as to lead a life worthy of your calling. Like God has called you, you need to lead your life in such a way. And here's what that's going to look like. Verse 2, you need to always be humble and gentle. You need to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Remember this is the conduct for the new society that's super diverse. We got people from every economic level. We got people from every age. We got people from every ethnicity, every background. Guess what you're going to have? You're going to have people that you don't get along with. But this is how the new society works. You're to always be humble and gentle. You're not better than them. They're not better than you. Your response to them is gentle. You're to be patient with one another. You know, another word for patience is (laughs) long-suffering. You are to suffer a long time with each other. You're to make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. That's hard. I'm going to give space for you to be wrong. (laughs) I'm going to give space for you to offend me. I'm not going to be so quick to get angry. I'm I'm making allowance for your faults because of love. And we're going to make every effort in this new society to keep ourselves united in what? The Spirit. Do you know that there's a lot of churches that are meeting this morning? Do you know that there's only one Spirit? That the same Holy Spirit that's here, hopefully taking these words and illuminating them in your heart and in your mind is the same Holy Spirit that's across the street, that's down the street, that's the same Holy Spirit. And we are to be united in the Spirit. Am I united with every church on every doctrinal belief or every philosophy of ministry they have? No, I'm not called to be. But there are our brothers and sisters in Christ and we can be united in spirit. We need to make every effort. Is that just some effort? If it's easy for us? No, no, no. We're to make every effort. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna make it happen. We're gonna make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit, and we're going to bind ourselves together with peace. How about we stop talking bad about other churches? How about we stop talking bad about other ministers? How about you stop putting down other denominations? How about we make every effort to stay united in the spirit with peace? Four, 
Here's the reason why. There is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. See, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Just one. Verse 7, however, okay, got it, one, 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 however, what's this? He has given each one of us in this new society a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Wow, that's pretty incredible. He didn't just love you enough to save you, he gave you a gift. And it's, it's a special gift. Verse 8, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he says, it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. He became a human. God left heaven and came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that we might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. These are the gifts that God gave to this new society that he's forming. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Four categories here. Pastors and teachers is one word in the Greek. We see the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, teachers. Why did he give these gifts to this new society? Well, let's talk about what their responsibility is. Their responsibility and I'm in this category, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Did you know that you're supposed to be working? I thought I was just waiting to die to go to heaven. (laughs) Nope. You're supposed to be doing work. Oh, but I don't like work. Yeah, But we're supposed to do work, and not just any work. What work are we supposed to do? That's right. It's his work. The responsibility I have is to equip you to do the work that God has for you. And I'm trying to build up the church, the body of Christ. I'm trying to help this new society that he's functioning to function, that he's building to function together and, and, and how long am I supposed to do this job? How long am I going to be responsible to do this? Well, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is what we're called to. Notice that maturity in Christ is not separate from Christ. No, it's maturity in Christ. You don't grow up and become independent of God. You become more dependent upon him. Hopefully, if you've walked with Jesus a long time, you realize, man, I need him more now than I've ever needed him. Oh, I need him more now than I've ever needed him. The exact opposite is when you're not humble and you're like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good for myself. I've gotten over this addiction. I got over this habit. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I ain't looking at porn. Come on, I'm doing pretty good. No, you should probably recognize that your sin is greater than you ever realized and that you can't do it on your own. And without God's spirit in your life, you are nothing. Because it's not about your behavior, it's about your identity in Christ. And I have to realize that I am unworthy to even be considered a son. And I need him. And I can't do it on my own. It's only Christ through me. Maturity in Christ, not independence from him. 
That's our goal. We want to have unity, oneness. Let's be honest. This verse uh, and these gifts that God's give to the church, you know, they're not well received. Because I think in our culture today, there's a bit of a crisis of authority. Who exactly are we supposed to listen to? And anybody who wants to flex any type of power over me, I don't like. I don't think so. Uh, who do you think you are, Mayor? Putting a mask mandate in my life. Who do you think you are? Police trying to tell me how fast to drive down the highway. <laughs> Boss, who do you think you are telling me how to do my job? We all struggle with it. Teenagers and parents. <laughs> what a joy youth ministry is. Crisis of authority. You know what the kid says to his parent? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm your parent. <laughs> I'm the authority God's placed in your life. Well, I don't like that. We don't like that God has given these leaders to the church to help lead the church. And here's the crazy thing. When we actually begin to study scripture, you know, when you become a leader, you are judged more harshly than if you're just a follower. Moses had a lot more on his shoulders than anybody you want to name that was just following him. Because he has the responsibility of influencing other people. It's not a small weight. And I think that there is a gifting that comes with it when you're called to it. Because it's a gift that God gave to the church. But not everybody should be a leader, should they? Well, here's what's interesting. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what we're going to find is that Paul, in a letter to Timothy, who is the pastor at Ephesus, he begins to outline what the church leader should look like. And that we can identify those who should be placed into a position of authority. And so this is a trustworthy saying. Paul says, if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. There ain't nothing wrong with wanting to be a leader. That's a good thing. Man, that's, a, that's an honorable position. So with that in mind, knowing that being a church leader is a, a good thing, uh, let's talk about it. A, a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? How can he lead God's new society? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church, outside of this new society, must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. What do you think? It's an honorable thing to desire to be a church leader, but uh, there's some standards. And here's what's interesting. I grew up in church, and I was always like, I'd, I'd hear people be like, whew, glad I ain't a church leader. I ain't doing all that. But here, here, I think we misunderstand this. All of these things that are on 
this verse. Put that verse back up there for me. All of these things that we're seeing here, that he shouldn't be a heavy drinker, that he should be above reproach, that he must be faithful to his wife, that he must exercise self-control and live wisely and have a good reputation and have people in his home. All of these things are what you're called to do. They're the things that all of us are called to do. In case you don't know this, you are a leader. You may not be a church leader, but you're a leader because you have influence over other people. And what Paul's saying here is not like, well, hey, only the elites, only the people who are going to be called up here and put on the ivory tower need to have this type of standard. No, this is the standard we're all called to, but we're not going to elevate somebody who's not exemplifying what the standard is. We're not going to put somebody up here who hasn't gone first and is living it out. We want to put somebody up here whose lifestyle will reflect what all of our lifestyles should reflect. We're all called to this. It's not just for someone else. It's for all of us. It would be dumb to have a church leader who is going to ask everybody to do these things and then not do them himself. So he's saying, hey, make sure that the person that you're going to have asking people to have a good reputation and to host people in their homes and to not love money is somebody who himself isn't a hypocrite and struggles with those things. And you got to be careful when you're in this church leadership position, verse six, because the church leader, you know, he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Oh my goodness. The devil, that's not good. Could it be <laughs> Satan? Also, people outside the church must speak well of him. He, might, he can't just be accepted by the people inside here. People outside of this new society have got to be like, man, there's something different about that guy. I, I, I can't, I'm not a part of that society, but man, that guy's living it out. Because if not, he's going to fall into, oh, the devil's trap. Every Christian is called to be the best he or she can be for God. Every Christian is a leader because we all influence others and we should all strive to improve our leadership potential. There is no room for sloth in the kingdom of God. You need to be growing and developing as a leader. J. Oswald Chambers said, how we handle relationships tells us a lot about a person's potential for leadership. How we handle relationships tells us a lot about a person's potential for leadership. We are all to be working on our leadership potential, and it's going to be evidenced by how we handle relationships. What kind of parent are you? What kind of worker are you? What kind of son or daughter are you? How do you get along with others in the church? How you do those things is a reflection of how you're going to lead. And before we can conquer the world, we have to conquer ourselves. Discipline is required to be a follower of Jesus. See, to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. And the truth of the matter is, is you're only as full of the Spirit as you want to be. Achievement in the kingdom of God is bought on the time payment plan. You have to put the time in. And part of the cost is self-sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 4 continues. It says, then, if we begin to to recognize who we are and we begin to move in the direction that God wants and we become mature in the Lord and we're measuring up to the complete standard of who he is, then we're going to no longer be immature like children. I have three children at my home. Immature is a great word for them. I hope that we will no longer be immature like them. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Nope. 
That's not going to be us. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Uh, this week I was on social media. How many of you guys are on social media? Anybody? Okay. Need to get a younger crowd. Um, <laughs> social media, uh, you know, it's a thing. So uh, I follow, you know, some different people on social media. So I had this uh, pastor, he's a singer, uh, Torn Wells. I saw that he did a message somewhere and he had an illustration. I thought it was so good. I was like, I'm stealing it because, you know, if you have eyes, you should plagiarize. I think that's the, the in, in a, it's in Ecclesiastes or something. So, so, uh, so here we go. So um, how many of you guys know what this is? It's a guitar, but there's something to matter with this guitar, right? It ain't got no strings on it, right? But this here is uh, to reflect what God's will is for you. This is God's plan for your life. Do you know what that makes you if this is God's plan for your life? You're the strings. Yeah, yeah, you're just a string. I don't know if you guys have ever seen brand new guitar strings. They come in these cool little containers. And uh, let's see if we can get them out here. And so let's, let's open one of these up. This, this is you. You have a specific purpose in life. Um, and it's right here. Without this, what good is this? None. You guys would see this and you'd be like, that's a piece of trash. <laughs> that is worthless. It has no meaning. It has no value. It can't represent, like, what's this going to do? But when you understand this in the context of this, then it starts to make sense. And so what we just read here, what did we read? What did we read? Uh, that, that Christ, who is the head of his body, is the church. Um, there's certain parts of a guitar. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, how many of you guys know what this part's called? It's the neck of the guitar. Do you guys know what this is called? The head or the headstock. Whoa. All right, this is where the illustration is going to come together. This is so good. Jesus Christ is the head of his body. And so we get so excited. We're like, oh my goodness, I understand my purpose now. I was trying to figure out how to make life meaningful and it just wasn't working, but now I understand. And so I'm going to connect myself into who Jesus is. Yay, me! I'm connected to Jesus. It's still lacking something, isn't it? Just connecting yourself to the head isn't enough. Do you know what this part of the guitar is called? Oh my goodness. Did you see the illustration come together? I told you earlier that no one is being saved without being added to the body. We, if we are going to function in God's society, if you want purpose and meaning in your life, it's not just connecting to Christ. It's also connecting to the new society and the body. See, this string has to be connected to the body and then properly attached and given the proper tension in order to become valuable and useful. Um, I, I, was, I was having my mind blown this week because um, my wife, you know, is not a musician, loves music but not a musician, and she did not know that every Sunday when we get up here, the very first thing we do before we start the service is I have to tune my guitar. 
She's like, I thought you were just plucking around up there. It's like, no, I'm not just plucking around up there. Like, hey, this is fun. Like, no, that's not what we do. I said the guitar gets out of tune. It, it doesn't stay in tune. And so if I just pick it up and I play it, you all are going to be like, what is the matter with that guitar? Nothing's the matter with the guitar. It's just the climate around the guitar has affected how the strings work. It could be the humidity in the room. It could be the temperature in the room. It could be how the wood has moved and it can pull things in and out of tune. And so every time before we play a guitar, we step on a tuner and we make sure that it is in tune so that when we strum it, it sounds like it's supposed to sound, that it brings glory and it brings honor to what it's designed for so that its purpose is fulfilled. If it's not in tune, it never works. Do you know how we tune our lives? It's by taking our life and putting it next to the word of God. I just told you what a leader is expected, and I said it's what's expected of you. How are you measuring up? Well, I did drink a little bit too much. Okay, <laughs> you're going to need to change that. You're going to need some tweaks. You're going to need some adjustments. You're going to have to be put into new tension. I don't like this. This is not comfortable for me. Well, guess what? Nobody said following Jesus was going to be easy. They just said it was going to be worth it, and it's what you were designed for and you were created for. I mean, if you don't want to be connected to him, you know, you can just try to get out of it and go figure out how to have some meaning in your life. It's not a whole lot of meaning. It's kind of worthless. We need to be connected to the head, which is Christ. We need to be connected to the body. And as we do so, we will find our place and our purpose. This verse is so interesting. Verse 16, it says that he, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I don't know if you know this, but um, there's six strings on a guitar, and they're not all the same. See, I, I, I have different strings. They all are different. They're different in diameter. They're unique. And, and how God's created you is unique. It's different than the person next to you. But you by yourself just connected to him in the body. It's as we in this local church find our place together and we begin to grow together as a new society that we can actually begin to make melody and music to who God is. You're unique. You have to be put on here right. I can't put the, the string that should be on the top on the bottom won't play right. We have to be put together perfectly. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the body is healthy and growing full of love. Let's not be a part of an unhealthy body. God has a purpose for you. He wants to fit you into it, but we've got to be willing to go through the process of being installed and tension placed on us. Verse 21, it says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Okay, you've heard about Jesus, right? You've heard the truth that comes from him? Here's what you should do. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, and holy. This idea of throwing off your old sinful nature and former way of life and putting on a new nature is this idea of like changing garments. It's like changing your clothes. So we all are a part of, of a kingdom of darkness. 
when we first are born. Thank you, Quirky. And so we're born into this certain way of being. We're on a team, and this is the team that we're a part of. And, and all of the history of the team is a part of our history. It could be deflate gate. It could be all sorts of things. Uh, you have a certain boss. You have a certain coach in charge of you. And, and so this is the world that you're a part of. But what we're hearing here is that this old sinful way of life, this former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. What am I supposed to do with this? I am to take this and I am to throw it off. We're not burning it. <laughs> and I am to, to get rid of my old sinful nature. And remember, we are all patriots. We are all sinful. Okay? I am to take it and throw it off. And then I get to come in to the kingdom. I get to come in to a new place. I'm to throw off my old sinful nature and now I'm to put on my new nature, which is created to be like God. <laughs> truly righteous and truly holy. Tyreek's been in the news for the wrong thing recently, but but if you remember last year, he got traded to the Miami Dolphins. And before he ever met with the coaches, and before he ever met with the team, before he ever learned the playbook, before he ever learned what his role and what he was going to do with the Miami Dolphins was, you know what they released? They released a picture of him in his new uniform. The very first thing that's supposed to happen with us is our identity changes. Before you learn the rules and the to-do and what plays you're going to run and how you're going to function, you have to identify with the new team. And Tyreek would have been a horrible player if he continued to wear his old uniform when he was claiming to be playing for a new team. And we have this problem where we continue to wear the old uniform. No, no, that's my old way of life. I'm not a part of that anymore. I'm a part of a new way of life. I have a new coach. I have a new playbook. I have a new way that I'm living. I have a new way I carry myself. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, if you're a part of this new society, you've got to be a part of the new society. Stop identifying the old way. Be a part of the new thing. And listen, we're carrying ourselves different. We're living different. We have purpose. We have function. And we are going to do what is honoring to God with our lives, not what's honoring to us in our old sinful nature. So what's this standard of conduct for this new society? Paul's telling us. He continues in verse 25. He says, stop telling lies. You put this on, you don't get to tell lies anymore. Instead, let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Hey, and, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's not how we're going to function in this new society. Not with this jersey on. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard work. Good hard work. And then, what are we supposed to do? Give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Here's the, the recap 
Verse 25, stop lying and be truthful. Verse 26, stop sinning, even when you really want to. I'm angry. Don't do it. Stop sinning. Verse 28, stop stealing. Instead, be generous. What? I don't just take from me. No, we're giving to others. And number, verse 29, clean up your dirty mouth. Speak words of life. We're in a new uniform, part of a new team. This is how we roll. It's not the old way. It's the new way. He continues, verse 30, he said, hey, and don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Don't make God's Holy Spirit sad by the way you live. Don't put this on and then go and live that way. It breaks God's heart. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Don't grieve him by doing whatever you want. Not, not when you're a part of this society. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. In other words, bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, when your emotions rise up, you're going to have to learn how to respond the right way to them. And we have a chapter break for whatever reason here, but, but Paul's process of what he's talking about, it hasn't changed. There's no topic change. So chapter 5, verse 1, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are dear children. I used to teach this to teenagers. Uh, one translation says, be imitators of God. I would tell them, be big, B-I-G, be imitators of God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Why am I to do it? Because I'm his dear children. Uh, people continually tell me that I remind them of my dad. I look like my dad or I have a mannerism like my dad. I don't see it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. He doesn't see it either. But it wouldn't surprise me if there are things that I do that reflect who my father is because I spent so much time with him. That there are things that I caught that weren't necessarily taught. And in some regard, you could say that I imitate my father. Not because I'm trying, just because of the sheer amount of time I've spent with him. What if being an imitator of God wasn't an effort issue? It was just the natural overflow of you spending time with him. It's like when that college student goes and studies abroad and then they come back with a weird accent. And you're like, what happened? You went to Australia and now you have a speech impediment? What happened? <laughs> Because you tend to imitate the people you're around. Be imitators of God by spending so much time with him. Do this, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Hey, how about we love and live that way? Hey, God's new society, guess what? Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. That's, that's old uniform stuff. That's not new uniform stuff. You don't get to put this uniform on and go do whatever you want sexually. You don't get to have whatever impurity you want. You don't get to be greedy. No, no, those are sins and they have no place among God's people. Some people are like, well, what does sexual immorality mean? Like, can you like draw the line in the sand? Well, I, I don't think that Paul drew a line in the sand here. Uh, this word that he used is kind of a, a junk drawer term 
for all sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. He was like, listen, I could go and outline all the sexual sins, but then some pervert would come along and find a loophole and create a new way to sin sexually that I left out. So instead of that, we're just going to say, hey, if it ain't right, don't do it. If it's not between a husband and wife, nope, that's sexually immoral. Don't do it. Because we are really creative at inventing new ways to sin. Let there be no sexual. I think one translation says, don't let there even be a hint of sexual immorality. It reminds me of the girl that came to me and she was like, uh, my, friend, uh, my friend wants to know, Pastor Alex, if she's still a virgin. Um, because like her and her boyfriend were like together, but he didn't go like all the way in. So it's like she's still considered a virgin. And I said, what are you doing naked with your boyfriend? We're asking the wrong question. Well, I, I just want to know, like, was that intercourse or was that not? It, it was wrong. That's what it was. It was wrong. <laughs> well, I thought, no, you thought wrong. Are you saying there was a hint of sex? Yes, there was more than a hint. <laughs> there was more than a hint. Don't let there be a hint. Such things have no place among God's people. And Paul, he ain't letting up. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, there should be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. <gasps> How could he call me that? I just wanted the new iPhone. I just wanted the latest fashion thing. A greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Some of you are like, I was trying just a second ago to excuse that. <laughs> Don't be fooled. For, uh-oh, the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Oh, I can't serve a God who has anger. Nobody cares what kind of God you'll serve. You don't get to project who God is. He is who he is. You can accept him or not. And the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. So don't participate in these things people do. You don't have to worry about the anger. Don't participate in the things these people do. You ever been around people who are doing those things? Don't participate in the things these people do. Sometimes you got to change your friends. For once, for once you were full of darkness. But now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. I told my wife, I said, it's going to be weird this message on Sunday because I'm pretty much going to read the Bible to people. But then I was like, what better thing could I do? What I would invent to say isn't going to be any better than what God had said through the Holy Scriptures so I just said, I'm going to read scripture to you. Amen. So we're going to end with Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Then I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to leave here and hopefully be the new society. Hmm. Hopeful thinking. Let's do it. Verse 15, it says this. Concluding words. So church, so new society, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity 
in these evil days. I don't know if you know it, but there's some opportunities. You need to make the most of them. And yes, these are evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't put your life on the cruise control. No. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. What a cool society that is. We're singing. We're honoring God. And we're making music to the Lord in our hearts. Verse 20, and give thanks for everything to God. Yeah, but my car didn't start this morning. Give thanks for everything. My car was in the shop for 21 days. God, thank you that I had a car to be in the shop for 21 days. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. New society, this is how we roll. This is how we live. This is our standard of conduct. Would you stand with me? If you'd bow your heads. God, I thank you that this letter 2,000 years ago was written to the believers in Ephesus because, God, it speaks to us today. Your word is alive. It's active. And, God, I believe it's doing things in our hearts even in this moment. And so, God, I ask that as we prepare to leave this place, this church service where we as your new society have came together. We have sung songs together. We have heard the word of God taught to us. I pray, Lord, that we would make some decisions that would honor you. I pray, Lord, that in our desire to conquer the world with the love that you've given us, that we would first conquer ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live a new way. God, I pray that those who are wanting you to show up in their life but are unwilling to meet you on your terms, God, that they would begin to make those adjustments. Lord, we are in an an error to believe that, God, you're here just to make our lives easier. We're in error to think, God, that you're gonna answer our prayer requests when we fail to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, when we take our glory and we give it to you, that's, Lord, when you will show up in your glory and we want to see you. We want you to be seen as strong. And so, God, may we never withhold the tithe. May we never withhold our affections. May we never withhold our desires. May we give them all to you. And Lord, may you in return give us all of yourself. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for what you're trying to do in the world today. I thank you that you haven't given up on this new society. Help us to become a power. Help us to become a movement. Help us to be effective in reaching a lost world in these evil days. We thank you for your love, and we ask God for your inspiration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and may he give you peace. We receive these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Let's go be that new society. 
Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.